Algar Productions. Welcome to the Death of Podcasts. I'm Al, and this is Amanda. Hello. And we're making our way through Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one book at a time. This month, we're discussing book 40, Raising Steam. Oh, no. Almost at the end. 40 books. Only one more to go. No. I know. So here's my summary. Trains. I like that it was almost, it was the railroad. No one's going to get That's that. That's for you and me and like some Canadians. Mm, some old some Canadians. Some old Canadians. It is a reference to a Canadian sketch group called The Frantics who recorded a weekly sketch show in the 80s mm-hmm. on the radio. Uh, so yeah, nobody's going to get that. Wildly popular. Sure, that's going to be a touchstone for everybody listening. But uh, is my summary inaccurate? Nope, that's it. Then I think I win. You might win. Ooh. You're not going to boil the last book down to one word. No, I'm There's not. no way. So I win. Yay. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to think of a shorter word than, tr- like, I can't just say, like, witches. No. Because it's. That's not, like. I... It's also still longer than trains. Yeah, exactly. Damn it. I win. Damn Hooray. it. Uh, so that's, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen. This mm-hmm. book is kind of a pastiche in a way, mm-hmm. but that's essentially it. Like, the Industrial Revolution begins on the disc. Right. And I like the pastiche aspect of it, actually. Uh, I liked, we got to see a bunch of characters from previous books and just sort of touching in with them. Lots of yeah. characters. Like, One last time. This And this is my good thing. We'll just jump right into yeah. that. It felt like kind of a victory lap for the series. Like, he, at this point, definitely had his diagnosis, knew he probably wouldn't be writing for much longer, probably wouldn't be around for much longer. Mm-hmm. The last book is very clearly by design the last book. Right. But this penultimate book feels like he's tying up a bunch of loose ends. He's showing us where everyone is. He's leaving all his people mm-hmm. in sort of a good place because the last book is a Tiffany book, which sort of happens off in the country. And we do meet up with people in we the do. last book. We do. There's but there's a big is... event that happens that we see the ripple effects of how it affects a lot of people. But this but... is the last book in Ankh-Morpork in the city. Right. But I mean, we get appearances from Rincewind. Mm-hmm. We get appearances like, and some deep cuts, some stuff from Small Gods, some stuff from like- We have um, Charlie the Clown, who's the guy who looks like the patrician. Yeah, one of the earliest uh, yeah. uh, plot to take over Vetinari books. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which one, but yeah. Um, reference to the Nugganites. Mm-hmm. They, like going back through, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And- this is my good thing. Like, it didn't feel gratuitous so much. It just felt like... No, it felt pretty natural. Yeah. Like, there were one or two little bits where it was like, okay, that's a little forced. But for the most part, it was like, oh, this is nice. You've built this huge world, and you've done this huge world-changing thing, and we're kind of seeing how it affects everyone, and it's really interesting. Right, and it does affect pretty much everyone, so it doesn't like feel... Like the actual Industrial Revolution yeah. changed the world. So it doesn't feel... Like, it doesn't feel too strained or forced. Yeah, or because, I mean, he's always been, he's always handled the uh, tying things together Mm -hmm. pretty naturally. And he doesn't just do it for the sake of doing it. He does it, like, if it fits. And here he did a lot of it. And we had a, this thing comes from our world to the disc, but it didn't feel like winky, winky, nudgy, nudgy. It's because a person invented this mm-hmm. rather than it being some sinister force inspiring it. Right, but there is sort of the feeling that it's not just someone inventing it because at the beginning, 
he talks about how it's it's very much like that small gods thing or like in in uh, soul music the one with the, the one with the rock rock and yes, roll music yeah music. um where there's this idea sort of floating out there and it's just looking for the right person but we d- we don't spend the entire book sort of focused on that concept it's just about this guy who learned how to harness steam but what they talk about is a few different like their version of the ancient greeks Mm -hmm. came up with the idea just like in our world the concept of steam power was around but they only used it for toys they never really used it for anything right and they talk about how lots of people can see the kettle as a source of power where steam makes the thing go up yeah but just because you can do that doesn't mean you can make it large enough where it doesn't explode up and kill everybody no and and then they even talk about like leonard of quorum Mm -hmm. came up with the idea but uh he got distracted also it wasn't time yet also he used it for like a coffee machine or whatever like he didn't think of the the wider right but i like i really like the character who invents it dick simnel Mm -hmm. he's one of the standouts in the book yes he's very enjoyable and terry patrick was smart not to make the entire book about him not Mm -hmm. to make it like he's Moist or William DeWord, mm-hmm. like the primary focus because he drives the plot because he's not that strong of a character, but as a secondary, as a mm-hmm. second tier character, he's fantastic. He's the sort of salt of the earth engineer type, very straight lines, very like the sine and the cosine and the tangent is what he believes in. And like he just he keeps tinkering with his engine and he keeps improving it. And I, I he's so great. And the uh, the read that uh, Stephen Briggs gives him is very good. Well, and it's one of those dialects that's in, like, it's written that way. Like, it's written as, I always get this wrong because there are 10,000 subtle shades of English accent, and... He just sounds like Gav. I think he sounds like our friend English Gav. I think he sounds like he tell, has... Tell the Gavs that. I'm I, If they're listening, then they can hear that. I'm... They love that. 90% sure he's written with the same kind of accent, which is... uh. Northern? Northern. I think. Yeah. In any case, it's he he's just this this great character. He's very straightforward. He's very like the press tries to twist everything and, and make it sound like the railway is bad, right. the people are going to die, and he just turns it around on them and shuts them up and is just very plain spoken and I just I, I really like the character quite a bit. And I don't know. But again, I like the for the first two thirds of the book, jumping from POV to POV. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's ostensibly a moist book, but... but it's really not. We spend, I would say maybe a quarter of the book with yeah. moist about that. But we spend time with all kinds of people. Yeah, we spend quite a bit of time with uh, Harry King, who mm-hmm. we've met in uh, previous books, but this have is Have we a... discussed him at length? I can't remember. Oh, uh, we might have mentioned him. He's, uh, so Harry King is, they call him King of the Golden River. His mm-hmm. whole deal is uh, his people, like how he made his fortune was they come pick up night soil. So that's mm-hmm. like, you know, all poop. of the waste, poop and piss, mm-hmm. and but also like dead animals and like yeah. just any kind of waste because that you can have be to. turned into fertilizer and can be used for um, like tanning hides. Yeah. And uh, it's also a service to the city because you don't have like it all sitting on the streets. There's some really interesting quotes from Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember where, but they're probably not hard to find about 
when you're world building and civilization building, mm -hmm. the number one problem is how to get rid of waste. Like mm -hmm. you have to think about that. You have to think about how these people get rid of their sewage and how do they get rid of their garbage. And vanish me poopums. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that well-known Harry Potter spell. Well, now that's the next 10 minutes is her just laughing at this meme she saw once. The funniest thing is the funniest thing in the world. I've never laughed harder. In that's, my life. That is, I can verify that. That is true. Um, but he said, like, you have to consider those practical things. How do people, mm -hmm. like, if you have a city of a million people, where does all their waste go? And this is his answer is some very enterprising person figured out that it could be repurposed to greater effect and got very rich doing it and i love that i love yeah, Harry he Kane. gets he gets paid coming and going he gets mm -hmm. paid to remove stuff but yeah, then nobody he, wants their waste yeah. around and then he resells it repackages and resells yeah it to because like like you say there's it. there's people who need fertilizer there's mm -hmm. people who need urine for tanning and all of that stuff. yeah and this um in dodger which is uh not a Discworld Not book, a Discworld but a book. Terry Pratchett book, which we will be, we will be covering. Yeah, um, it talks they, they Terry Pratchett, yes, the, the royal Terry Pratchett, uh, talks about um, more of this sort of world mm -hmm. where you've got like people looking for um, coins and stuff in the sewers mm -hmm. and, and all of that, and that's a very like that's like was a a big thing yeah and this is all kind of part of that yeah no and i like that and i like we've seen him in several books before mm -hmm. as an incidental character and he's much more of a of a character in this because when simnel comes to the city and is like okay i have the concept mm -hmm. i want to turn it into something real i need someone with money i've heard you're the guy and as it happens, uh, Harry King is trying to not go legit because he is legit, but it's it's that same kind of like mob guy wants to go straight thing. It's like he well, wants to he, get out of the, the what, poop business. Yeah, what he does, like he is uh, just like Vimes is going up and up and up in society. Right, and but so he wants to. Yes, but he and he wants to, especially for Effie, his wife. Who? Yes, that relationship yeah. and the whole dynamic is handled so much better than what we complained about with Vimes and Sybil in the previous book. Right. A lot of what drives him is her saying, look, I am not ashamed of how you make your money, but you know what? You have gotten to this point and- Isn't you there can, something better? You can do something cleaner. You can yeah. do something like not just cleaning up, but making things you, better. You could make something. Right. And so and, But she's not nagging him. No. She's just saying- this could be our lives. And he's like, yeah, it could be our lives. It's never like, it's never like a fight. Well, they they do have a fight. Yeah, but you, but not in a, <laughs> not, about not in a nagging shrew wife kind of way is what I mean. No, they have, um, like she wants him. She knows that he can be better. And in, now he's got all of this resources and stuff. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Like, are you just going to sort of keep making money and do nothing with it? Like what's, yeah, you, and he you've got enough. He realizes she's right. Yeah, what I like about her is she's sort of that. It could be played as sort of crass mm -hmm. and gauche, like new money. Uh, new, yeah, new yeah. money trying to fit in, but she's so earnest mm -hmm. and she's so like coming from just such a pure place that it's never like that. It's it's just like she really likes what he's done for mm -hmm. her and wants to be an important person and wants to do good. And I like that. Yeah. And so 
this is an opportunity for him to do something that he sees as like, cause he's like a, he's super butch. So it's really yeah. important to him that it be something manly and kind of exciting. And he clean. is, he is, you're not wrong, Yeah, but there's some very good stuff later in the book mm-hmm. that talks about just how soppy he gets yeah. and how emotional and how like really attached to kids and family. And like, I like that. I like that. He's not so butch. That he's like toxic. Yeah. There's there's some good nuance there. But he would have problems if the thing he was doing was like making lingerie. He could Probably, he, he yeah. couldn't do like we were talking about that in a previous book. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't do that. He wouldn't be comfortable doing that because right. he's too like he's too he's he's not entirely toxic masculine, but there's a lot of that in there. Um, yeah, but then this guy shows up in his like grease covered overalls <laughs> with this big slab of steel that can powerfully <laughs> okay, what's more manly than that? Exactly. So he's involved in that. Yeah. Um and then Vetinari realizes this is happening and it's going to be a major major change to the city. And of course, Vetinari knows exactly like he's two steps ahead of everyone yep. else as as ever, which I like. Yep. And so that actually comes to my good thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I know I've made my good, we've, we both made our good thing Vetinari before. Well, he's one of the best things about the series. But this is a, this is a good Vetinari book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great him playing Harry and Moist and Dick and everyone into doing this great work. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically tells them like he's got these people who can do these great things and he basically just prods them into doing it and he works them different ways Mm -hmm. um like he encourages harry to do this for his place in you know place in society that he knows effie wants moist he knows is going to be want is going to want to be in the center of this because it's the big thing and moist always Mm -hmm. has to be in the center of everything because he's the most i love the escalation of their relationship Mm -hmm. like it's always been a tentative Mm -hmm. you almost had me killed i don't know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen and to this point moist has always been looking over his shoulder Mm -hmm. he's getting really carried away and Mm -hmm. really ballsy and actually this brings me to my quote there's a point where so they're trying to sell like they're trying to get the railway to quorum which is fake france right and that's what Moist is doing in this whole enterprise is he is negotiating with landowners right. to get the the rail line through because it's a real sort of nimby, not in my backyard situation. Yeah. Like everyone wants the train, but no one wants it like right next to their house because yep. it's like noisy and dirty. Which is some once again very yeah. on point social observations from Terry Pratchett. Like very yeah, that's what people sure are like. Yep. And uh, yeah, your Moist is out there. Charming people. Yep. Because that's what he does, and that's what he does best. And he's got uh, access to a golden horse, which I want to talk about mm-hmm. a little bit later. Um, and he's riding around b- along the route trying to get all these landlords to to agree. And uh, he returns one night, and this is my quote. In the interest of keeping things moving as quickly as possible, the patrician had allowed Moist to requisition one of the city's few golem horses. The horses were notable for their indefatigable galloping, and also for turning your pelvis into jelly if you didn't pad up extremely well. But even with all the multiple layers, Moist was just about rattling when he got back to the city after weeks of negotiations. Exhausted, and in defiance of custom and practice, health and safety, but on the other hand, with all the glory of the gods of style, to the dismay of the palace guards, he rode the golem horse all the way up the steps to the door of the oblong office. 
There he was pleased to see Drumknot, who deftly opened the door and stepped backwards so quickly that Moist, by ducking, managed to trot neatly to within a foot of Lord Vetinari's desk. Unruffled, the patrician lowered his coffee mug and said, Mr. Lipwig, it is customary to knock before entering my office, even and especially when entering on horseback. You may thank the gods that Drumknot had the presence of mind to disable our little alarm system. How many times must I tell you? Every time, sir, I'm sorry to say, because you see, sir, said Moist, if I'm to be any use to you, I have to be Moist von Lipwig, and that means, sir, I'm afraid, that I have to find the edge of the envelope and put my stamp on it, sir, otherwise life wouldn't be worth dying for. Aw, I love Moist. Fucking rode a horse, right? And Vetinari refuses to blank. Of course he doesn't. Oh, here you are on a horse. Okay. (laughs) That's fine. Oh, Lord, he's made of wood. (laughs) But I love that this is where their relationship is now. Moist keeps pushing. Mm -hmm. And Vetinari, it gets to the point on Vetinari's side where he's like, you're going to run the the railway to Uberwald and you're going to do it now. That's on the other side of the disc. That's thousands of miles. There's no possible way. I don't care. Do it. You constantly talk about doing the impossible. Guess what? You're doing it now. Do it. But I can't. I don't want to hear that. Do you want to die or because do you want to make the railway? Your, because your reward is I won't have you killed. Right. And But you definitely get the feeling that Vetinari likes Moist. There's some playfulness there. Yeah. Which you don't really get with Vetinari and most people. It's it's very like with Adora Bell. Mm-hmm. It's not I don't mean flirty romantically, but it's it there's it it's a bit of a flirtation. Yes. And Moist loves danger and mm-hmm. the patrician is dangerous. Yes. And the patrician likes useful, interesting people. Yep. And Moist is useful and and interesting. Also, yeah. one of the main reasons they're pushing the train to get to Uberwald as fast as it can is because that's where Vetinari's girlfriend is. I don't think that that's true. It's not the only reason, but it's definitely in there. Because mm. at the beginning, um, Vetinari has to go to Uberwald to see Lady Margolotta, and he yeah. has to go by coach, and he hates it. Well, there's a there's a nice sort of montage. Do you call it a montage if it's not visual? I don't know. There's a whole like set of right. sequences of how people are negatively impacted by not having rapid travel. There's like produce. Yeah. Seafood and produce spoiling by the time it gets to the city and uh, coach travel being uncomfortable and nearly impossible and beset by dangerous. Yeah. By bandits and such. And I like all of that. I like setting up why we need this now. And then it happens. One of the ways that Dick and Moist and Harry get veterinary on board with this whole idea is the idea of getting this train out to Uberball. Yeah, but... Which he needs for, like, genuine political reasons, and there's story reasons later on, but the... Getting I, getting to see his girlfriend's definitely I in there. I don't think that that's... I think that's what the rank-and-file people in the city think. Oh, well, he just wants to go visit that girl, because everyone knows about them. Yep. And because everyone knows about them, I think it's probably not what they think, because Vetinari doesn't work like that. But what I like is he was kind of against the railway mm-hmm. at the beginning and then he suddenly turns on a dime and is like we're gonna have this thing to Uberwald and like everyone's like why why and it turns out oh the dwarfs just had like a, a, coup. a coup and the king was overthrown and we need to get him back there very quickly and he saw all this coming that's why I pointed yeah. out before he saw all this coming way before everyone else and already got the wheels in motion literally and I like all the of that the train wheels yes the wheels on the train go round and round mm-hmm. Uh, also, it, later in the later in the uh, in the book, it turns out that Vetinari 
was on the train the whole time Mm -hmm. helping out uh, in a disguise. Yeah, he had a Charlie the the clown uh, posing as him. But he himself was also on the train posing as someone else. Right. He was posing as a stoker something. Yeah. One of the yeah. one of the guys working in the train, like like uh, shoveling coal into the boiler or whatever. And that was all very And good. everyone talks about how he's sort of like this tough guy that no one, no one screws with. And yeah. uh, people sort of see him in passing and no one realizes it. And then it turns out at the end that it was Vetinari all along yep. and he was there helping. But that's another way that uh, I think... Fetinari and uh, Moist's relationship has changed because he tells him about that. He does because he actually, he did it and he kind of had a good time doing yeah, it. Like a like, good oh, time for Vetinari. Yeah, that's like, that's him letting his hair down and getting away from yeah. it all is pretending to be someone else for like a week. And I don't know, I really enjoyed that. Um, So my bad thing, we talked a bit about the, the dwarf politics. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I loved all of that stuff in this series to this point, in The Fifth Elephant, and especially in Thud, yep. my favorite book. But here it just feels like kind of more of the same. Like it the, definitely does. The conservative dwarfs don't like change. You did that already. You did it extremely well. And there's not much more left to say. There's really nothing new on that front. No, it's there. They have a new thing to wreck. They yes. have been wrecking the clacks, and now they're wrecking the railway. That's all. Yeah, and so it's just... Basically, Terry Pratchett saying this problem hasn't gone away. And honestly, at the end of the book, it doesn't feel like it's gone away then. Well, because either. the king does exactly the same thing he did last time, yeah. which is keep the dissenters around yep. to have like, and I, I appreciate that on one level, like you don't have your enemies killed. You keep them around in a society built on constant Arguments. arguing yeah. and and you know just debate and everything that's that's an interesting thought but if they're just gonna keep trying to it's like everyone trying to overthrow veterinary it's like let's just take this as red we don't need more books about it yeah but it didn't really feel like there was more there no. uh, we got more of albrecht albrexen which who is like a conservative dwarf mm-hmm. who actually shows that you can have people who um value traditions and who don't want to forget about the past and history and like keep that stuff up without being like a piece of shit. No, he had a nice speech about how all of those traditions make sense down here in the mine and Mm -hmm. I keep them alive because they're important, but the world isn't a mine and we have to move on. Right. And you can still do the the mining stuff. But which is need, important to us. You need new traditions for yeah. the new things. More dwarfs are in more pork, and the clacks exist, and the train exists. We can't ignore those things. And, yeah, you can't wish them away. That doesn't mean the old ways have to go away, but they can coexist, and I like that. I like that, too. I also like the idea that um, of the melting pot comes up again in this, mm-hmm. and El- one of Albrecht's things is keeping the traditions alive so that people... So that dwarves don't just become short humans, so that those traditions still exist. No, and that any time he makes the villain or the antagonist or whatever, mm-hmm. someone who doesn't want like to melt, mm-hmm. doesn't want to assimilate, doesn't like mm-hmm. I, I that makes them at least a bit sympathetic, right? Like, yeah, they're they're like ultra conservative, hardcore jerks, but. I get it. They don't want to be forced into the mainstream and lose all their identity, right? Which yeah, <laughs> that's that's something I understand. So that's not bad. And we do sort of jumpstart the dwarfs moving like forward, mm-hmm. like the king just straight up acknowledges that 
she's female right. and starts referring to herself as queen and changes her name to something more feminine and uh, admits to being pregnant. Uh, yeah, with her like top advisor's baby and mm-hmm. it's that part's not bad and then there's a sort of like a an interesting little bit where suddenly more dwarfs are like, "Hey, hey, yeah, me too. Also me." And it's like, "Oh, you cowards." Like yeah. Cheery Little Bottom was out there fucking like risking her, you know, like, everything. Yeah. Being like excommunicated from dwarf society just because she wanted to be herself. And you all had to wait until the king did it. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. <laughs> that was good. That was, again, good, like obs- observing how people are. And it might have been more interesting if the thing that the Grags, the traditional dwarfs, were worried about was femininity mm-hmm. instead of. The trains, because the trains felt very much like the clacks thing we've already done. It's just a technology thing rather than a societal thing. And it was like, it almost felt like him saying the reason the dwarfs who are most like likely to be involved with this mm-hmm. aren't involved with this is because they have this political thing going on. Because, yeah, they're smelters mm-hmm. and they're miners. Like all the steel would come from them and all the like engineering the, would come from them. The Ankh-Morpork dwarfs are the ones who like get a hole in the side of the mountain so you can yeah. put the train I mean, into it. Those guys built a printing press. Yeah. I'm sure they would love to build a locomotive. But because of all this political stuff, they're not really involved and everyone's just like steering clear of mm-hmm. them. Like it might have moved twice as fast, but I'm not sure what the point of that was. So, you know, I I just, like, as as a force for driving the plot, it didn't make sense. Also, this is your bad my thing. My bad, oh, my bad thing. The, I remember this book being kind of, not bad, but kind of boring. Like, that was my takeaway yeah. from it. And we were, we were listening to it, and we're listening to the first half of the book, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm just wrong. I like all this Dick Simnel stuff. I like this, the technology stuff. Mm-hmm. I like the veterinary stuff. I like Vimes getting pulled into this. I'm like, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's not yeah. like a moist book. Like it didn't feel like. Going no, it postal. didn't feel like part three yeah. of the trilogy that was going postal and making money. And so I'm like, well, maybe I was just sort of disappointed at the time because I thought it was going to be a moist book and mm-hmm. it turns out it's not. Uh, it was just my expectations. But then we get to about the, um, about, it's about three quarters the way through the book. Yeah. And the last quarter or third of the book is really boring which you pointed out is the exact opposite of the last few books where we were not really engaged until very late and then the climax happened and it's like oh here's here's the story this is where the book is yeah it's the exact opposite here and what i think personally Mm -hmm. is i really liked that pastiche i liked constantly changing points of view Mm -hmm. once we settled on one it was like i was really vibing with what the book was doing and now we're just stuck with moist in this pretty boring setting and like Let's go back to seeing how everyone else is reacting instead of just this one spot. Which you I know? wouldn't expect. Like, I'd figured, like, because I, I love Moist, and I figured yeah, oh, no, as soon yeah. as we're stuck and in And there's some POV, good character stuff for him, let's be clear. There is, but it's really, um, it's the whole the whole last third of the yeah. book is them getting Reese, the king or queen, mm-hmm. uh, back home uh, to, like, yeah, stop Yeah, and will the they get the, the railway done in time? Yeah. And can he get a train across a, a gorge and all this stuff? Right, so it's a lot of, like, building track in front of the, like, the yeah. train is, the track is getting laid, like, just in front of the train, yep. and the um, the traditional Grag dwarves are trying to stop them. But all the fight sequences feel very, like, whatever. Yeah. There's no... 
the thing about Terry Pratchett books is these all have happy endings. Like, it's not that I yeah. don't expect there to be a happy ending. I'm fine with that. But it feels normally in fight sequences and when there's there's tension and like i'm not worried that everything's going to turn out but i do feel like nervous about what's going to happen in this i did not at all what he does very effectively for me and this happens mostly in vimes books but also in the granny books i would say is the action climax dovetails nicely with the emotional climax right. and whatever's going on in the character's head comes to a head when they're punching like like the bit in thud where right. he's rampaging through the thing, must read to young Sam. Like, yeah, he's killing guys, but that's not what that was about at all. It was about him and and his love for his son and and trying and to the overcome darkness the darkness inside. The, him, yeah, yeah, all of that. And like, this book didn't really have an emotional core. No, because there was no single character arc. That's the downside of what I was talking yeah. about. Is eventually we kind of settle on Moist's POV, but it's not really about him. No, it's just he is who the lens through which we are watching the plot happen. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's this book's actually, we were talking about it. We're like, Oh God, are we going to be able to talk for an hour? Cause this book's mm-hmm. pretty thin. Um, it which doesn't... is weird. Cause it's one of the longest ones. Like the audiobook is almost 13 hours long. Yeah. But it, it doesn't really matter because no. there's interesting stuff that happens and there's good sequences and there's, there's good some good character stuff. Character and there's stuff. some funny stuff. Yep. Like he's still like, I, my recollection was, the later books got less funny. And there's a couple of examples of that, but I was wrong. No, this was like... There were some funny things. This was definitely funny. There's um, a place called the Effing Forest. Oh, my where God. A tra- like a terrible tragedy happens there. Mm-hmm. And every time they refer to it, it's like, oh, the Effing Forest. Mm-hmm. Because this bad thing happened there. And it was like... But that's it, what it's called. Yeah, it's called like the it's Effing named. Forest. It's, yeah. it's funny. There's, it's real dumb. And I shouldn't yeah. have laughed the 50th time yep. I heard it, but I absolutely did. And then the name of the railway... Oh, the hygienic railway, which Effie comes up with and Mm -hmm. insists that they have top-notch, like, toilets and everything. And it turns out that she's right. Everyone's, like, really happy about it. Yeah. And, like, Harry's fine because, oh, you mean a way to collect more of the things that Mm -hmm. I know how to make money on? Yeah, all right. It's fine. Yep. Yeah. But, yeah, hygienic railway, which I think is based in a real-life thing. I think so, too. It just made me laugh every time. But, yeah, there's, there's good jokes and stuff in it, but there's no... This one doesn't, there's no real heart to this. No, I do like, I mean, again, there's a lot of good Mm -hmm. observations about how society works. And I feel like this is speculation on my part, but I think he knew he had to wrap things up. He kind of like, it feels like he wanted us to know what the path forward was. Right. Here's like, it's not the end, but this is where these people are headed. The, I've well, been modernizing in, this whole yeah, time. Yeah, he and, had intended to keep modernizing yeah. our pork. I don't know if he intended to get us to like modern days, but he had intended to, you know. Well, what I like is we are doing that, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's still magic and gods and goblins right. and dwarfs and all that stuff because near the end, it turns out Iron Girder, who we haven't really talked about and right. should, the main engine that Dick Simnel is constantly tinkering with that basically becomes the avatar of this whole right, so, endeavor. So uh, he, Iron Girder is his prototype. Right. This is the train that he made in his shed when he was figuring things out. And he's been, yeah, tinkering with her and improving. And, and she's always got the best. Yes, of everything. Stuff. Yep. Like, and... She becomes a she very quickly, mm-hmm. and it becomes fairly apparent to us mm-hmm. that she has a soul, a personality, or whatever. Right. She actually murders 
a like one of the the dwarfs that tries to come sabotage it right at one point um and at the end she basically speaks to moist and says uh, i am a goddess yeah like i am the goddess of train times. the industrial revolution yeah. and what i like is that's i i feel like that's him signaling to us Yes, I'm modernizing, but it's still Discworld. Belief still makes things happen. Right. Magic still exists. God still exists. So many people is, believe in the trains yeah. that this goddess now happened. Right. Dick believes in her so much. Yes. And all of his but, all of his people do as well. But he goes on and on in, in a good mm-hmm. way. Like, I like this about the character. About science and about provable things and mm-hmm. about how ma- he hates magic and how, like the, he's not a religious guy and all of that so i love that it doesn't matter belief is belief i actually this actually kind of brings us into my quote mm-hmm. um so this is uh we have emily king who is harry king's niece who is dick's love interest i what i like real quick mm-hmm. before you get into this is I thought we were going into, oh, he's an engineer, which means he's mm-hmm. not going to like, no, it's just like, hey, that pretty girl caught your eye. Why don't you wipe the grease off and go talk to her? Yeah. And he does. Yeah. You're... That's all. And that's Moist actually says, you you could you yeah. could do that. You could talk to her. And he's like, could Oh, I? yeah, I could. And but Moist it's... is like, yeah, no, you, you could go talk to Terry her. Terry Pratchett has definitely fallen into that trap of like, haha, nerds. Yeah, nerds yeah. don't get laid. And like, he didn't this time. And I like I appreciated that. And he ends up dating this Yeah, Emily. Emily. Just as Moise was debating where to look for Simnel, Emily King, in a very fine white cotton dress, came jauntily skipping through the compound toward the sacred engine shed, as if completely unaware of the intendant muck and grease. But after all, he thought, she must have grown up with her uncle's other business, uh, against which the railway was a fragment was a fragrant pleasure garden. And here she was, bouncing along cheerfully, and here was Iron Girder, and suddenly Moise's spine went cold, every sinew twanging. And he was near to biting his nails as the girl continued toward the locomotive in her pristine white cotton dress. Moist moved like lightning across the compound as Emily skipped on and reached Iron Girder. He looked at Simnel, whose face had gone curiously gray even under the grease and grime, and he was ready for anything as Emily patted the engine and said, Hello, Iron Girder. How are you today, you lovely girl? And while Moist was still gopping, um, Emily took out her handkerchief and buffed Iron Girder's brass nameplate industriously until it sparkled to the heavens. And as Emily was talking to Iron Girder about how good she was looking today, Simnel turned to Moist and said very quietly, She wouldn't have, you know, not Iron Girder. Good, said Moist. And now you have two ladies, you lucky man. But in his head, he, uh, a voice said to him, And you more than half expected it, didn't you, Mr. Lipvig? Oh, ye of little faith. And then there was a sigh of steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the thing against type that I liked, was... <sighs> In so many books, you have this driven, and it's all—it's almost always a dude character mm-hmm. who's got this interest that sort of consumes him, and the woman in his life is like way not into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and why are you wasting your time doing this and that and the other? You got, of course, you get the other side of it where she's like, "I'll support you no matter what." Mm-hmm. Uh, both of which are not great to read. No, but Emily's just like. She's got her own stuff, but she's she's into it. She likes she likes Dick and she likes Iron Girder and she has a Yeah. She she And understands. the engine isn't jealous. That's what I was I was thinking what Moise was thinking the yeah. first time I read this. I'm like, oh that's not good. And then it, No, by this point in the book, we yeah. were very aware that the train has is like, a person. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then later on, um Dick and Emily go on a ride on Iron Girder together. It's like them walking out together. Mm-hmm. And um 
Emily's very good at stoking the boiler, like shoveling coal mm-hmm. into it. And she finds a way to do it without getting her white dress all mussed up. And that's because mm-hmm. Iron Girder loves her too. Yes. Uh, because she makes Dick happy and she is so into the train. It's like almost a weird polyamorous it, thing, yeah. <laughs> which I like. And Moist is like, ooh, your two lady friends are kissing over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> are they kissing? That's very good. There's There's a lot of good, like, moving his ideas forward, the ideas of like, there's a troll lawyer, like a lot of, there's a lot of talk of uh, bucking the stereotypes mm-hmm. and being a thing that you wouldn't expect. Troll hairdressers. There's a. The a, troll, uh, the troll lawyer is actually um, related to Diamond. Yes. So he's a lawyer who can't lie because right. he's. Uh, made of Diamond he's and made, is yeah. pure and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I like all of that. And I like, like, we hear about a human and a dwarf getting married. Mm-hmm. We hear like. There's this great, I'm pretty sure it was an homage to the movie uh, Brief Encounter, Mm -hmm. which is an excellent romantic tragedy. One of my favorite romantic movies, end of sentence. Yeah. No, it's it's excellent. It's it's so basically a two-hander yeah. about uh, a doomed relationship. Yeah, and it's oh, so sweet but, and it's so sad and it feels so normal too, which is yeah. what I like about it. It's t- I, the premise is basically just two married people meeting and falling in love in a railway station, and there's two married people in this who meet in a railway station <laughs> and leave together. That's it. There's yep. no like calling attention to it otherwise so maybe it is maybe it isn't but they happen to be a dwarf and a troll right and i just love that he's moving forward with all of that the goblins get a lot more you pointed out i see in your notes that like equating them with marginalized people working on the railways might not be the best choice kind of in line with what i had talked about in the last one if if we if the goblins weren't stand-ins for like real marginalized people yeah it could be sort of an interesting story of you know you have these fantasy creatures who are taking their place sort mm-hmm. of in the world who have been sort of shoved aside and now they're well they're i like them forward. i like them naturally taking to the clacks and Adorabelle works with them a lot yeah now. they take to the cl- like the goblins are good at mechanical things mm-hmm. like that's like it, they, yeah. they're interested and they're good at it so they take to the clacks and they take to the railway mm-hmm but there but... is a real world analog of marginalized people working on the actual railroads Ooh, and not being treated it's well. It's genocide. Yeah. Ooh, it's not good. I don't know if that was deliberate or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's deliberate or not. It's like Terry I Pratchett. Know. Terry Pratchett knows enough about railway stuff to know I, that's that true. Tons of people. That said. Yeah. All of that said. They don't work for the railway. They are building their own railway underground. And their interests just happen to intersect with Moist and and Harry. But they, and... they do work with Harry. Like uh, Harry employs a lot of goblins. Yeah, but um, it's and not... they work. They like he. They do work for Harry, and they do work on the railroad. Right, but they also have their own thing. Yes, like that's a distinct. Like that's a reason that makes them very different. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's just. I know, but like Terry Pratchett. The thing is, when we get off on these research on railway stuff and you can't look at railway stuff without seeing like all of the Chinese folks who are straight up I understand but we tend to get off on these tangents and then 30 minutes of the show is about this thing that's five minutes of the book right 
And yes, it's important and it's important to talk about, but also it's such a small part of the book. Well, there's not that much to talk about in this book anyway, so. That's not true. I got a whole bunch of stuff still. Uh, Drumnot gets caught up in all of the railway stuff, which mm-hmm. I love. This this fussy little nerd who likes paper clips is now just like, uh, you know. Yeah, Vetinari turns around and he's like, Drumnot, will you? And Yeah, Drumnot's been the guy at his side for 30 years and suddenly he's not there. Like, what? Where? Yeah. He yeah. asked for the morning off to go look at the trains? Yeah, he's a train spotter now. The morning off? Yeah. What is I don't I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very good. Um let's see. I like that the issue of guilds comes up because Terry Pratchett remembers the world that he's built mm-hmm. and it's like, oh yeah, if if Dick Simnel came to Morpork doing this, of course they would muscle in on him. And the answer to it is basically, fuck them. Mm-hmm. You do your own thing. You can train your own people. You are your own guild. Fuck those guys. I like that he clearly thought about this. And it's like, well, there's no answer. The answer is, fuck them. <laughs> I don't know. That that amused me. It's it's kind of a non-answer answer, but it, I liked it. There was a bit where Moist was given a goblin potion mm-hmm. and suddenly... Turns just... him into a berserker, basically. I I wasn't sure what that was. Is that just supposed to be a funny thing? I think it's just a fantasy thing. Okay. Because it felt like it was setting something up later. Like I thought it would pay off again in the third act where they'd give it to him again and he would like save the day. But he just drank goblin rot gut. That was one of the fight, like the sort of pointless, like soulless fight sequences where um, Moist has to go stop some guys from doing something and he goes with the goblins and the goblins give him basically a berserker potion so that he can fight because Moist isn't right. much of a fighter. No, he he can usually charm his way out of yeah. things. I liked him dealing with this uh, Marquis in mm-hmm. uh, Quorum. Just this sort of savvy pseudo-Frenchman mm-hmm. who his his wife clearly, you know, has it for Moist, which I like. I mean, who doesn't? This this is a very horny book for Moist and Adora Bell. Yes. That's the thing we haven't talked about yet. This, yeah, that's I don't know how much there is to talk about it, but there's just every time they're together. Well, because they're apart so much. Yeah. Because he's on the road so much. When he comes and home. And she's working. Yeah. Yeah, because she's full on with the clacks mm-hmm. and the goblins are helping, but she's, you know. She's, she's got to run the place. Yeah, exactly. So every time they have a free night together, like they're boning and yep. there's just some very good passages about how. That's what they're doing. And I don't know. Yeah, it's nice. I like... it's. They're definitely Terry Pratchett's best couple. Yeah, and they're married in this one finally. Yep. And clearly, like, he has some weird ideas about marriage as evidenced mm-hmm. from the previous book. But this is a good one. This is a good husband and wife. And they talk in the beginning about they've got a handyman to help with fixing stuff around the house because what is Moist going to do it? No. Yeah, also, and you know. Got a, they've got a like a cook to take care of the cooking because what is a doorbell going to do it? Yeah, no. exactly. No, it's 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 very good. Um, and I again, I like checking in with all the different people like Feeney uh, apparently went to Angmorpork and got training from detritus. Mm-hmm. Just little little details like that were nice. It's like it very much felt like this is the last you're going to see a lot of these mm-hmm. guys. They're all doing okay. Like, I don't know why that's important to me, but it is. Just like, he's closing all the loops, you know? We got a, what I consider the best Dibbler appearance, because Dibbler didn't appear. Uh, he he was off screen. Uh, 
he there uh, moist meets someone on the railway who uh, like an older lady who gets ill motion sick she's worried she's gonna get motion yeah sick. and so someone sold mm-hmm. her a calmative curative mm-hmm. snake oil potion mm-hmm. and guess who it was and moist basically just tosses it out the window and says you're gonna be fine and he hears her story i really yeah. like this bit yes yeah, mm-hmm. she um like wants to see something of the world mm-hmm. and turns out to be sort of moist kind of hires her on to be like a travel writer yeah like everyone should go and see things yeah, which and is good for you know his what? train. We're gonna we're gonna give you free passage mm-hmm. sometimes to places that the railway, like the train, goes, mm-hmm. but no one else can go to yet. And you can write about it first, and you can tell everyone about it, and that will get everyone traveling and using the train, and it glorifies the train. Yeah. No, yeah. he's basically hired a copywriter. Yeah, but also she gets to see the world just like she wants to, yeah. and that's that's quintessential moist right mm-hmm. there because he's playing her a little bit, but also so like he's really weaponized his. Moist von Lipvigness to mm-hmm. the point where, like, he rescues two children from being run over by a train and turns it into a big spectacle, but for good. Because right. he's... And he still does do the thing. That's what I'm saying. That's him now. Like, mm-hmm. he's a hero, but it's also still a spectacle, and he's still going to get all the attention, and he's still going to get all the accolades and almost die. I very much enjoyed uh, the sequences with Vimes and Moist in them again in this. Yeah, they they were very different than previous books mm-hmm. because Vimes is always warily like, "Ugh, you're the guy Vetinari hired, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't trust you." And now, now, uh, Moist's secrets are all out in the open. He's like, "Yeah, I was a scoundrel. Now I run the post office and the bank." Mm-hmm. And Vimes is like, "Okay, I got my eye on you." But they seem to be kind of clicking on a weird mm-hmm. level now, which I really enjoy. And again, Vimes is someone that Moist can't really play yeah because there's no there's no lever in there no and uh moist or vimes kind of likes more like watching moist do his thing yeah he he respects him i don't think he He, likes him he wouldn't say it yeah yeah i like that though that's enjoyable to me um, this book was also a bit of a cock forest. There are women yeah. in it, but... They're all in very supporting very roles. Very supporting roles. And, like, while we have Adora Bell in this, she's only in it for a couple of sequences. Like, yeah, because while the book is barely about Moist, she's only in, like, a third of his bits. Right, because she doesn't so, go on the, on, like, the, the yeah. train chase at the end, yeah. so... So, like, I guess if you count Iron Girder as a woman... There's a few, but yeah, uh, and then we've got you know many. we've got Emily who has got yeah. she's got one or two scenes. Yeah, the the main guy's girlfriend. Yeah, also the main guy's mother is in it. Yeah, and we've got Effie who again she's yeah one of the main guy's wife. She's not really in it much. We no. we see Sybil for about thirty seconds, yeah. but I was looking through my notes. I'm like, oh right, there's <laughs> there's no women here. Now um, it turns out Reese. The Queen of the yeah. Dwarves is a woman. Yeah, um, which is nice. Yeah. And embraces that at the end, yeah. which I like. Now, I will say, th- there's no mm-hmm. there's no defending this book on that front. You're right. But the final note that he goes out on, the last book, is, you know. Yeah, it's mostly women. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. I, and I rather got the feeling that the reason there aren't a ton of women in this is that um, Terry Pratchett thinks that trains are a boy thing. I don't which know, is, maybe. Which is weird. Well, he's got some, like, very... We've talked about ideas, this before. Yeah. So, I don't know that weird. Just, he's surprisingly unprogressive in certain areas where he otherwise is. Like, 
you're you're on the right side of so many things. Yeah. But also, he was 60-something when he died, and he probably was just a little traditional. Yeah, like, even when we've got the watch, um, like, on the train chase at the end, I think it's just... Cheery's, Cheery's there, there, but as... she doesn't say anything? No, Cheery is the uh, decoy for the king, later the queen, and that's it. Like... Yeah. Angua makes appearance earlier in the book, but she's not in the big train sequence. Yeah. There's a nice bit between her and Adora Bell mm -hmm. where the Clax Tower is attacked and the goblins clearly murdered the dwarves. Right. And Angua basically says, well, who knows what goblins get up to? And Adora Bell says, yeah, who, who knows? knows? They were probably on their smoke break or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not exactly it, but it was basically, I think technically on the basis of that scene, it passes the Bechdel test. Yeah, maybe. But yeah. still... <laughs> We also have, um, we check in with Sally for about five minutes. Yay. Um, One of my favorite supporting yeah, characters. She's, I think she's out in Quorum, like, she's kind of a She's kind of a spy. Yeah. Which yeah. is perfect. She's kind of like a, yeah, like a like a secret diplomatic mm -hmm. attache mm -hmm. to the uh, to the watch, which I like. Uh, we got, I mean, but again, we got just about every character you can think of, like, and some deep cuts and some weird, like, all Jolson, who was in <laughs> yes. one book for five minutes, shows up again, for instance. Uh, but like you got Otto. My favorite character. Yeah. Again, we got a we got a Dibbler without having yep. to deal with Dibbler. We got Death Dibbler. Death. We weirdly, Death I thought was in every book in this series, did not show up in Snuff and did not show up in one of the Tiffany books, which is odd. Yeah, but He's in this one. Yeah, but it's weird that he's in yeah. like 39 to 41 books. Like you, you couldn't just like, someone always dies. It's not that hard. No. All right. You got anything else? No, not really. That's almost an hour. Yeah. Uh, okay. So in keeping with the idea that this is sort of a greatest hits, and that's not a complaint, uh, the cliche count is huge on this one. He hits all the old favorites. Mm-hmm. Something that happens to other people makes a triumphant return, and he uses it twice. <laughs> the leopard changed his shorts again. He even worked Quantum Man, and I mm -hmm. thought the era of Quantum was over. Yeah, me too. I thought we were done with Quantum. Yeah, I thought he was just fascinated with that for a while. We got three Gingerlies, three Susurrations, and seven Surreptitiouses. So many. He just, Again, I feel like he was, like, bringing them all home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there you go. What do we got for a pune or play on words? And when he goes back to work, he'll strive, yes, strive to become a better, that is to say, richer person, to the benefit of both his employer and himself, and not, of course, neglecting to thank the owner of the railway, to wit, your good self, who allowed him to have ideas above his railway station. <laughs> oh, one thing, one thing we forgot to talk about is... So there's a golem horse that I, I mentioned oh, in my quote. right, yes. And Cute. Moist Moist starts poking at this idea. Hey, golems are people. Mm -hmm. You are in the shape of a horse, but you're still a golem, so shouldn't you also be a person? And the horse talks. Mm-hmm. He'd never been called upon to talk yes. before, but Moist spoke to him, and he's like, yeah, I talk. I can talk. I'm a golem. He's, uh, okay, so, and then he starts putting yeah. these ideas of identity into his head, and the horse... I mean, no pun intended, yeah. runs with it. Yeah. Well, I you're like a horse. Why don't you go and, like, roll around in the meadow and play? Yes, Mr. Lip Pig, I will go and enjoy myself. But then later... And roll around and play. And I wish I remembered what the... There was a pun about him 
not coming to work and I don't remember mm-hmm. what it was, but there's a bit where he starts actually taking it seriously and people are like, uh, we tried to get him to work and he said, I am an individual mm-hmm. and I won't work or something. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed all of that. There wasn't much there, but it was a nice little gag. And that was a contender for the pun for me, mm-hmm. but unfortunately I don't, I don't have it handy. Also railway station. <sighs> yeah. She's making the face. What do you got for a grade? It was B minus. If yeah. it hadn't been for the back half of the book, the grade would have been higher, but man. Yeah. Uh, and it it lined up, unfortunately, because we were listening and we're like, well, we got about five hours left. Why don't we just knock that out this afternoon, uh, play some Animal yeah, Crossing so it and was some in, Frostpunk. And, yeah. So it was one sitting for yeah. us was the entire bad part of the book. Yeah, and that's what I, I had to sit with it for a minute so that I could talk about the stuff I liked because mm-hmm. the boring part lasts for so long. Yeah, and it's most recent in our yeah. memories because we've read it all today. Uh, my grade is a B because there is lots and lots of great stuff in here. By volume, it's like 70% good book. It's just all of the bad stuff happens at the end. And it's not even bad. It's just boring. It's, like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like no, offensive. No, there's there's books where it's like, oh, why did this happen? Or like, I just hate. And it, it wasn't like not... in Reaper Man where the bad stuff yeah. was like unendurably bad. It wasn't unendurable. Or I we were never following characters I was yeah. irritated with like in the wizard books. It's just I didn't. I, I was bored. I was really vibing with the beginning of the book, too. Yeah. And then we sat down today. I'm like, oh, good. More book. I'm like, oh, no. More yeah, no. book. We saved the worst part for last. Yeah. And I should never be bored when Sam Vimes is in a scene, mm-hmm. ever. My favorite fictional character. And it should be kind of exciting. It's like a chase to, yeah. the, what have, to the what have you. With plus, our... you got Sam Vimes, yep. Havelock Veterinary, and Moist von Lipvig. Having all... a train adventure. How? How is that boring? And yet. And Dick Simnel, a great yep. new character. And I'm just not that interested, guys. It's too bad. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Cut the book down by about 15%. That's too late. Yeah. It, is, I, it's, it might be the longest one, too. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of them topping out over 12 hours in audiobook. And uh, it was very long. Long one, yeah. Yeah. So that, as we said, penultimate book. Next, we will be doing the very last book. Uh, the sad, extremely for me, tear jerking uh, Shepherd's Crown. So that will be next, and that will be last. As I briefly alluded to, we will be covering, as sort of a bonus, two additional Terry Pratchett books. Mm-hmm. We will be doing uh, Nation, mm-hmm. and we will be doing Dodger. That's it. I know there are other Terry Pratchett books. We're not doing those. Please don't ask. I appreciate that you want to hear more show. Money, please. Mm, no. We're, we're just about done. So this is what we had planned. Uh, someone had very graciously donated enough to suggest Nation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Amanda, we, we've had long talks about his non-Discworld books and how- I don't like most of his non-Discworld books that much. I like them okay. I just- I like um, Long- I like Long, long Earth, Earth very much. Yeah, but that's only half him. Yeah. But we talked about how of those- there's one that I really favor, mm-hmm. and there's one that you really favor. And, and it they're both really good. And it didn't really feel fair that because someone donated, we were only doing the one that I like. So I was like, okay, we'll do the one you like too, but then that's it. We're done. So Also, it lets me cling into this series just a little while longer. Yes, it means we're not done with this yet. Yes, and, good. And I can't cross this off the list. Yes, good. Uh-huh. Do this forever. This has been a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Amanda Smith for Algar Productions and Giant Black Albatross, copyright 2020 and 2021. For full archives, RSS feed, and more details about us, visit thedeathofpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.